Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. So we are in the middle of our series on I Need a New Metric. This is a series that Meredith has preached the last two messages of I Need a New Metric. What we're talking about is that the metric that we used to use to measure things no longer makes sense. How many people know that the goals that you set last year are probably not relevant anymore this year, right? That the things that we used to look to for success are no longer relevant, and that's why we need a new metric. We need to redefine what it means to look at success. What does success look like this year, today for us? And so when I think about success, and when I think about what Jesus means success looks like, now I look at the scripture of Matthew chapter 5 when he talks about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is a, a section in the Sermon on the Mount that many of us will know well, and it, Beatitudes is really just a fancy way of saying blessed. And so we read this in Matthew chapter 5 when we look at the Beatitudes, but I don't want to jump into it just yet because when we look at the Beatitudes, this is something that we would really be familiar with. Many of us that have grown up in church, many of us who have read through the Bible, you are probably familiar with the Beatitudes. You've heard it talked about really often, probably too often, where you think it's no longer significant, and we don't realize the significance of this scripture. This is counterintuitive to what the world teaches in the Beatitudes. We read this in Matthew chapter 5. It's some of the most painful scripture, I believe, in the Bible. And it says this in Matthew 5, chapter 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And the eighth is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is resetting the metric here when we read through the Beatitudes. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we're thankful that you're here in the place. We're thankful that we don't need to even welcome you here because you're already here. God, we ask that you continue speaking to us today. We ask that you give us a word that will transform lives today. I am so in love with you, Jesus, and I ask that you flow through me. Let your Holy Spirit flow through me today, that this word would be received in good soil and that it would bear good fruit, and we're thankful for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all said, amen. amen. Years ago, I went to this place that you probably remember. These are places called movie theaters. 
I went to uh, a movie theater. This is a place where you would go and you would pay money to watch a movie. If you go with your friends, then you would each have to buy an individual ticket to go and watch this movie. And not only that, you would probably pay like 40 or 50% of your week's salary to buy snacks and candy and drinks and all of those kinds of things, right? These are movie theaters. And years ago, I went to a movie theater to watch a movie called Hot Fuzz. You probably haven't heard of this movie before because this was a British movie that came out and I was back in Australia. But the reason that I wanted to watch this movie was because it looked awesome. This movie was in the trailers. It was like an action movie. It was like the British Die Hard where everything is exploding and there's just drama and action all over the place. And I thought in the trailer, this movie looked awesome. And then I got to the movie with my friends, and I remember sitting down watching the movie thinking, this has got to be the worst movie that I have ever watched in my entire life. The acting was just over the top, and the drama and the plot didn't make any sense, and things were exploding unnecessarily. Like, things that didn't even need to explode were just exploding, and the movie just made absolutely no sense. And I was really disappointed right, because I was so looking forward to this action movie and it just made no sense. And so I thought for the longest time, this is the worst movie that I have ever seen, this movie called Hot Fuzz that you have probably never heard of in your life. And so people would ask me, you know, in get to know you questions, like what's your favorite movie and what's the worst movie that you've ever seen? And I thought, hands down, without a doubt, this is the movie Hot Fuzz, the worst movie that I've ever seen. Until someone asked me one day and they said, why is it the worst movie that you've ever seen? And I explained to them, well, it's because the drama is over the top and the plot doesn't make any sense and things are exploding unnecessarily and just the, the acting is over the top and it just doesn't make any sense. And they said to me, well, you know that this movie isn't actually an action movie. I said, what do you mean it's not an action movie? And they said, well, it's not actually an action movie. This is a comedy of action movies. You viewed this movie like it was trying to be a really good action movie, but matter of fact, this is actually a comedy that is making fun of action movies. That's why you didn't enjoy this movie when you went to go and see it. And so for years, I thought that this was the worst movie that I had ever seen, and I decided in that moment, I'm gonna go back and watch this movie again and see if I still think it is the worst movie that I've ever seen. So I did that. I went back, and this time I grabbed the DVD and I threw it in and I watched the movie. And you know what? After watching it with the correct intention, the correct expectation, I no longer thought that this was the worst movie that I had ever seen. When I expected this movie to be a comedy, it was actually kind of funny. When I wasn't expecting this movie to just be the English diehard, it was actually kind of enjoyable and no longer the worst movie that I had ever seen. Expectations are important. The way that you expect something is often the result that you get out of that thing. But so often in life, we are disappointed because of the expectations that we place on ourselves. Like how often do we go to the gym and we see the biggest guy and look at the fact that he is benching two or three times what we can bench and we get disappointed. We get discontent with the fact that I can't live up to that idea of success. 
or you stand on the scale every day and the numbers aren't what they're meant to be and we get disappointed and discontent with the fact that we can't measure up to this idea of success or you don't have the amount of followers on Instagram that you think that you should have, you don't have the amount of money in your bank account that you think that you should have and so we feel discontent and disappointed because we're not measuring up to what the world says that we should have in terms of success. These things, while they might be good things, these are not goals that we should be aspiring to. These things are outcomes. Outcomes are the way that we measure our goals. And these are very different things. It's important to make sure that we understand the difference between outcomes and goals. The goals are the things that we should be aspiring to, and the outcomes are the ways that we can measure the goals that we are aspiring to, the ways that we can measure these things. So in the same kind of way, let me put it in church talk for us for a moment. I don't pursue blessing. This is the outcome of the fact that I am pursuing God. When I pursue God, He blesses me, and the outcome is that I am now living a blessed life. In the same way, I don't pursue miracles. I pursue God, and then it is the God of miracles that is able to perform miracles in my life. My goal is to pursue God. The outcome is the benefit of pursuing God. Do you understand the difference here, the difference between goals and outcomes? It's really important to understand this difference because my goal is not necessarily to get people to clap their hands and to have a great time today. My goal is not necessarily to fill every single seat that is in this sanctuary. My goal is not necessarily to break the internet with how many people are tuning in online today. My goal is to lead well. My goal is to hear what God is speaking and to speak that thing. My goal is to, de to declare Jesus over every situation, believing that he is the solution. My goal is to lead in a way that would encourage people to live lives of resilient faith so that we would see lives change. And I believe if I pursue this goal, then the outcome is that this church would be filled. I believe that the outcome is that revival would break out, right? Do you understand? the difference between goals and outcomes. My goal is not necessarily for more clicks, more likes, more butts in seats. These are the outcomes of when I do my job and pursue the goal that God has called us to. But too many times we have these things backwards. Too many times we pursue the outcome and not the goal. Too many times we pursue the wealth, the dollars in the bank account, instead of the purpose that God has made us for. The Bible is really clear that if you pursue the purpose that God has created you for, then all of your needs will be met, right? We've gotta understand the difference between goals and outcomes, even relationally. Like if you think about your spouse, so often when we think about our spouses, we think of ways that we can make them a better person, which is code for I want to make them more like me, right? And so when you think about your spouse and the goal that you might have is to make them a better person, or if you're not married and you're wanting to be married, we think about how we can find the best person for us 
These are not the goals that we should have. Scripture is really clear, and it emphasizes more about being the right person than finding the right person. And if I spend my time focusing on how I can be the right person, then I will find the right person. If I spend my time thinking and focusing on how I can be the right person, then my spouse will become the right person because I have put my attention and my focus on the goal and let God take care of the outcome. So often in life though, we let our external situation, our external circumstances define what we feel in terms of success. So often we look at an election that takes place and we let it define if we feel successful or not. Right? So often we look at the external situation, the environment that we're in, and we let it tell us about if you are being successful or not. You might look at the news, you might look at TV. It takes about 10 seconds to turn on the TV and to realize that the world is regularly trying to tell us what success looks like. Do you have the best checking account? Do you have the best credit card? Do you have the best whatever, the fastest car, the biggest house, the best insurance policy, whatever it is, the world is regularly trying to tell you what success looks like. But maybe you've already internalized what success looks like. Maybe you set goals at the beginning of the year and you thought, if I can achieve this list of things, then I will be a successful person. Meredith and I do that at the end of every single year. We sit down together and we set goals for what we want the next year to look like. So we sit down together and we break our lives down into relational goals and financial goals and, and career goals, all of these different things. And then once a quarter we get together and we talk about what these goals are and we typically do it on our date night. Meredith and I were married on the 30th of March and so on the 30th of every single month we get together and we have date night. And date night for us is not always going out to restaurants and enjoying a good time together. Sometimes date night is just going to a library and sitting quietly away from the noise of our three little boys at home. Not really, we don't do that. Um, at least we don't do that often, right? And so we go to restaurants and we talk about things significantly in life, we talk about the goals that we have once a quarter. We check in to make sure that we are on track. And the last time that we did this, just a few weeks ago, when we were out on date night, we realized how many of our goals are no longer relevant this year. Not even in terms of like, I'm just a little bit behind on the goal that I set for myself, but how many of my goals are completely irrelevant that I set at the beginning of the year to now? And, be, and this is because I need a new metric. Right, we need a new metric. Can you tell your neighbor, I need a new metric? I need a new metric. When it comes to setting goals, there are two questions that we need to ask ourselves when it comes to defining what success looks like. Two questions that we need to ask ourselves. The first question is, what is it that you are measuring? Where are you trying to win? What are you measuring? And where are you trying to win? That's the first question. 
which I now realize is actually two questions. But what are you measuring and where do you want to win? Are you trying to measure your happiness? Are you trying to measure your relationships, your family, your finances? What is it that you are trying to measure? And the second question is, how do you measure success in that area? The first question, what are you measuring? The second question is, how do you measure success? Because if you don't define success, if you don't define a vision for yourself, you never know that you're actually gonna get there and you never know if you have achieved what the goal is or you never know if you have fallen short and failed of that thing. What I have learned this year, more than other years though, is that heaven's metrics are not the same as the earth's metrics. Can anyone agree with me there? Heaven's metrics are not the same as the earth's metrics. We, uh, we all measure things, whether we agree to the fact that we do it or not, whether you tell people about the fact that you do it or not, we all measure things. And we've been doing it as societies for thousands and thousands of years. And it's not all bad, it's not necessarily that God says that we shouldn't compare things. We just shouldn't compare apples to bananas, right? We should compare apples to apples. And so can you, uh, Andrew, help me out with the first thing right here? Yep, right here. We all measure things, right? This is a representation of the way that the earth measures things, okay? The earth measures things in terms of size and volume and quantity. This is the way that the earth measures things. There is a, a story in the Old Testament where Israel, before it had a king, it was looking for a king. And they said, we want a king that can represent us well, just like the other nations have. And so Samuel was appointed the task to go and find a king for the people of Israel. And Samuel goes to Jesse and he says, hey, show me all your sons because one of your sons is going to be the king of Israel. And so Jesse brings out all his sons and Samuel says, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Do you have any other sons that I can pull from to make the king of Israel? And Jesse says, you know what? I actually have one more son that I didn't pull out and bring to you. And this, as we know, is David, and David eventually becomes king. But he becomes king after Saul is placed in as king. And Saul is literally someone who is tall. The Bible says that he measures a head and shoulders above other people because as humans, we look in the earth's sense of what success looks like. The people of Israel wanted someone who was tall, right? This is the way that the earth measures things. How much money do I have in my bank account? How many zeros are there on my paycheck? How paid off is my house? How many friends do I have? How many Instagram followers do I have? This is what we use to define what success looks like, right? But heaven's metrics are not the same as the earth's metrics. Can I have this other one real quick? Heaven's metrics are not the same as the earth's metrics. This is a scale. And I stand on our scale each morning, and I'm not gonna tell you what the number is right here. This is the Earth's metrics. We measure things like height and volume and quantity. God doesn't measure height. God measures heart. God measures the weight of something. 
God doesn't look at this metric of how you measure up. God looks at this metric right here, the weight of something. How much impact do you have in your society? How much influence do you have in your community? Is your community, your neighborhood, a better place because you are there? Is your place of employment better off because you are there? Is this community better off because our church is here? These are the kinds of things that God is measuring, the weight of something, not the size of something. We had this conversation in our life group just this last week when we were talking about how we measure things as guys, and the conversation just organically moved into this area where someone shared that they used to look on this scale for success. They said, I used to take all kinds of crazy overtime. I took all kinds of extra hours so that I could make a ton of money so that I could provide for my family and that we could do well financially. But I don't view success in this metric anymore because now I view success in this metric right here. I view success in the fact that I know what my daughter's favorite color is. I know what my son's favorite sporting player is. These are the ways that God views success, the weight of something, not necessarily the size of something, right? We've got to understand that heaven's metrics are not the same as the earth's metrics. And this has been a particularly tough year for a lot of people. That's why we're talking about redefining what success looks like. That's why we're talking about resetting the metric of success that we use. And this summer has been a particularly tough time for Meredith and I. It's been a tough time for our church in general, but it's been a tough time for Meredith and I, and I don't have the time to get into all the different details of why that is the case, but this has become a season for us of breaking. And what I've realized in this time is that I used to view success by my ability to avoid breaking. I used to view success by my ability to not be broken, my ability to avoid difficult situations in life. I used to think that I was successful if I could avoid every difficult moment and every difficult season in life. And what I've realized is, is that if that was the measure of success, I would be doing a terrible, terrible job this year. But what I've realized is that God doesn't measure success in that way. God measures success by my ability to declare Jesus over every situation. God measures success by my ability to declare Jesus when times are good, to declare Jesus when times are bad, to declare Jesus as the answer to every problem, to declare Jesus as the hope of the world, to declare Jesus as the, need, as the answer to every miracle that needs to take place, that Jesus is the answer. And if we have have the ability to declare Jesus in every situation, then we will lead believers in lives of resilient faith. That is what success looks like for us in this season. And so success looks different for Meredith and I. Success right now looks like a renewed importance that we are placing on the need to be healthy. Not just to lead well, but to be healthy in how we're leading and to be transparent in how we're doing that. And that's why I want to tell you today that next month, Meredith and I are going away for a week retreat on something that is called Restoring the Foundations. 
We are going away to get to the core of who we are as people to make sure that we are staying healthy as leaders, that we don't get to a place of being broken, but that we are able to look at the blind spots that we might not necessarily see and get to the core so that we can remain healthy and lead in a healthy way. And that is what our heart is in this season, not because we have to, but because we want to make sure that we can do that. And so I say that today to ask for your prayers in this season, because if you've done RTF before, if you know anything about RTF, you know that it stirs all kinds of things up. And we wanna make sure that God is at the center of this thing so that we can come out of it healthier than we already are and aware of things that we're not even aware of during this season. And so I ask for your prayers in that. What does success look like though? Success is the ability for us to find hope and joy external to all the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in in life. It is the ability to enjoy the blessing of God because we are inside the kingdom of God. This is what success is. Success is blessed. It is the ability to live a blessed life. And when we talk about blessing, let's go back to the scripture that we started with, looking at the Beatitudes. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter five again and look at all these eight different blessings that God says that we can have for ourselves. These are the eight Beatitudes. And as we're going through them again, this is what I want you to do. I want you to rate yourself. Give yourself a grade of like between one and 10 or give yourself an A, a B, a C, a D, an F on how you are doing on the scale of these different Beatitudes as we go through them. But just keep in mind that you don't get to pick and choose which one you want for yourself. These are a take all or leave all. You've got to take all of these if we're going after them. And so let's look at these Beatitudes. The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit means to be humble. And humility is the realization that every good thing that you have, every talent that you have, every ability that you have, every good thing comes from God. And so being poor in spirit is the recognition that God has put every good thing on the inside of you, which leads you to a place of humility, which leads you to the ability to enter into the kingdom of God and to receive salvation. That's the first one. Are you poor? in spirit. The second one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you think for a moment about the way that God originally created the universe, the way that God created the way that we should live on earth, walking in paradise, in community with him on a daily basis, when you think about what that paradise and perfection was like, and what life is like for us now, that should lead you to a place of mourning, right? Because sin entered the world early and has had enormous consequences for us as humanity. And the mourning that we realize is the fact that there is a difference from what God's original plan was, which was for us to be in perfection with him and how we live our lives now. And if you are in 2020 and you're not mourning something, then I wanna speak to you right after service and find out what your secret is because I don't know how you're getting through 2020 without mourning something. But we should all be mourning the fact that sin has entered into the world and caused a disconnect between what God originally created and the experience that we now have. This is why we should mourn. 
The question is, are you mourning the fact that sin separates humanity from its creator? That's the second one that you can be rating yourself on. The third is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A meek person is somebody who shows self-control. Meekness, don't get it confused with weakness, it is not the same thing. A meek person is someone who is gentle. When I am wrestling with my little kids and I let them pin me to the ground, I am being a meek father. I'm not a weak father, I am being a meek father because I am not using all of my power and all of my ability and all of my authority on my kids. I am showing my meekness to them. And so in that same way, in your workplace, in your school, in your home, if you have a position of authority and you are using that well, if you are not using that to harm people, then you are a meek person. How meek are you as a person? That's the next one that I want you to rate yourself on. Blessed are the meek. The fourth is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Righteousness here is the quality of being morally correct and justifiable. It can be understood about being rightness, being in rightness with God, being upright, being in good standing with God. And the Pharisees at the time often believed that they could earn their way there. They were more focused on their own righteousness than on the righteousness of Christ. And so Jesus here is specifically speaking to that, saying, you cannot achieve what you need without me. How, what, what kind of righteousness are you pursuing? That's the next question. Question number five, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How merciful are you as a person? Mercy is us showing love to those who suffer distress, to a family member, to someone in your community, to someone who lives on your street, to a neighbor, to someone who you work with. What kind of mercy are you showing to that person? When we talk about mercy, we're talking about clothing people that need it. We're talking about feeding people that need it. We're talking about being in community with those people that need it. We're talking about forgiving those people that need it. In the same measure that Jesus has forgiven us, we too should be forgiving other people. How merciful are you as a person? Number six, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The Pharisees often preached and had this ritual that if they cleaned their body, if they cleansed their body, then they would see God. And so Jesus here is speaking to the fact that it's not about what's on the outside, it's about what's on the inside, being pure in heart, being someone who doesn't have ulterior motives, being someone who says that you're going to do something and then doing that thing. That is someone who is pure in heart, not having some kind of disguise in the way that you're doing something, but having correct intentions when you commit to doing something. Number seven, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus gives us the fruits of the Spirit, and one of these is peace. Being a peacemaker is the ability to not just be in peace with people, in peaceful relationships with people, but being in peaceful community with God as well. 
And so if you are not, we have the ability to pray for this. God says that if you pray for this specifically, that he will provide peace for you. And so if you need peace in your life, all you've gotta do is ask God for it. God, make me a peacemaker. God, increase my ability to be peaceful in my community. Increase my ability to be peaceful in my workplace, in my household. If my spouse and I are arguing all the time, let me be a peacemaker in my household. You have the ability to increase the peace in the area and the circumstances that you're in. Paul says to the Romans, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The question for number seven is, how peaceful are you? How peaceful is your home? How peaceful is your environment? How peaceful are you as an individual? And number eight, hopefully you are scoring pretty well when you're going down this list. Number eight is, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This does not just say blessed are the persecuted. It's blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness. If you have done the wrong thing, then there are consequences for that. There is persecution for that. But if you are persecuted because of righteousness, then there is blessing in that. Right? And so we know that when you act the way that Jesus wants us to act, then we will be persecuted. Scripture is clear about that, right? Because the world doesn't know what to do when you love unconditionally. The world doesn't know what to do when you are always acting in peace. The world doesn't know what to do when you turn the other cheek. And it frustrates people, and you will be persecuted because of it. So blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When you act the way that Jesus will act, you will probably be treated the way that Jesus was treated. He was rejected by society, right? He was not proclaimed by all people as the Son of God. He was crucified because of the way that he acted. Those are the eight Beatitudes. How'd you do? 10 out of 10 for every single one of those? You score 80, you got a whole bunch of A's when you looked at your scores right there. When we look at the Beatitudes, we often understand the Beatitudes to be a response to the Old Testament Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments that say, thou shalt not do this, you shouldn't do this, you should avoid this, don't do this, do not covet this, all of these kinds of things, right? We've got the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, and then Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, this is the way that I want you to live. These are the things that I want you to be pursuing. In many ways, the eight Beatitudes is the response to the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. And so as we continue reading in Matthew chapter five, the standards get reset, or at least it seems like they keep getting reset. It seems like Jesus is lifting the bar and the standards, resetting the metric of what it means that we need to be in right relationship with him, right? We just saw the eight different Beatitudes and we see as we continue reading in Matthew chapter five, we see that he says that we should be salt and light, that we should be loving our enemies, all of these kinds of things as we keep reading down in Matthew chapter five until we get to the end of Matthew chapter five and it says this in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But how is this possible? Jesus has been resetting all of these standards of what it means for us to live the blessed life, and then all of a sudden he says in, at the end of chap- chapter five, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but I have the inability, the distinct inability to reach perfection by myself. And this in itself is what Jesus is doing here. He's not raising the bar. He's not resetting the standard. He is revealing to us what the standard was all the time, and that is perfection. What he is showing us is the fact that we cannot reach righteousness, we cannot reach the standards that God has for us simply by ourselves. You cannot do it in your own accomplishments, you cannot focus on the eight Beatitudes or the 10 Old Testament commandments. You can't focus on all of these things and keep trying to increase the grades that you are giving yourself because you cannot succeed in this by yourself. You will never reach perfection without what God has done for you. It is because he was broken for you on the cross that you are able to be in right relationship with him. You cannot achieve it. You cannot earn your way there. You cannot measure up. You will never reach the standard that God sets for you. Jesus, as he is talking through Matthew chapter 5, says, you have heard it said, and then he refers to something in the Old Testament, and then he says, but I tell you this. You have heard it said this, but I tell you this. As he is talking about the, but I tell you, he is not resetting the standard. He is not lifting the measure of what you should be achieving. He is showing us the standard that has always existed. And what he's showing us is that you cannot reach it by yourself, that you cannot measure up, that you don't have the ability to be in right relationship with him without accepting what God has done for us on the cross. And so if you haven't ever realized that, if you haven't ever accepted the fact that you will never be in right relationship with God by yourself, then I wanna encourage you to think about that today. I'd love to pray with you right after service right down here and recognize the fact that you will never earn your way into heaven. You will never earn your way into right relationship with Christ. And Jesus, when he is looking, or when we look at success, we often look at the life that Jesus lived, right? We often look at the way that Jesus lived and we think that was a successful life. But even at the time when Jesus got arrested, there were people that looked at him and thought, this is not successful. He is not living up to the measure of what I thought that the creator of the universe would be able to measure up to. When Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter tried to defend him, tried to remove the the guards from arresting Jesus because he didn't believe that a successful person should be arrested. And even when Jesus was put onto the cross, some people said to him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down off the cross because the creator of the universe, the almighty, the powerful one, cannot be, cannot be put on a cross, cannot be condemned, cannot die, but if you are the creator of the universe, then get yourself off the cross. Jesus needed to go through this moment of breaking because on the other side of breaking, there was the blessing. 
If Jesus wasn't ever broken, then we could never live the blessed life. If Jesus didn't encounter this breaking of himself on the cross, then we would not have the ability to stand here today worshiping him as the risen savior. And too often in life, we look at ourselves thinking we are in a position, a season of breaking, and therefore we are not successful. But what we've got to realize is the fact that in that breaking, God is blessing. In that breaking, what we realize is that God is still moving, and it's the fact that Jesus was broken that allowed us to encounter the blessing of being here together today. I'm just about finished, if I can get someone to come join me on the keys here. I have um, a, a word that I wanna share for someone today. I don't know who this is for, but as I was putting together this message, I started thinking and started hearing about what God was saying, and what I heard him say was distinctly this, that you might have heard things said about your life that are not true in the past. And in that same kind of way, when Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, but I now tell you this, you might have heard it said over your life that you don't measure up. You might have heard it said over your life that you are not good enough. You might have heard it said that you are broken beyond repair. You might have heard it said over you that you are never going to achieve anything great. I just wanted to speak over you today that God has made you able. I wanna speak over you today that God has given you, he has equipped you with everything that you need to live a successful life. That success is blessed because God was broken specifically for you and God is able to turn every situation around. And while this year might have been a difficult year for you, while you might have been experiencing breaking at different times, I wanna encourage you to be thinking about the fact that just because there are moments of breaking does not mean that you are not living a successful life. If anything, the evidence of the breaking is because God can trust you with the breaking, and I believe that on the other side of the breaking comes the blessing, amen? And so I can't promise that at the stroke of midnight on 2021, as we enter a brand new year, that everything that the enemy has taken from you would be turned around from this season. I can't promise that. I'm not gonna prophesy that over you. But what I can promise you is this, that God is present with you in the breaking. God's evidence is present right there. His presence is right there with you. And so I wanna encourage you to not abandon your post. Keep leaning in. Even if you are in a season of breaking, I believe that God still has something great for you. God still has something great for you in this season. Don't rush past it. Don't try and get into the next season because God still has something great for you in this season. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this word. We're thankful that we find our success in you. We're thankful that you have caused us to live a blessed life. We're thankful that you are present with us in the moments of the valleys. We're thankful that you're present with us in the moments of the mountains. We're thankful that you are broken for us. We're thankful that because you are broken, we can be blessed. 
And we're thankful for these lessons that we have just learned about the Beatitudes of what it means to live a blessed life. And God, we know that we will ne never measure up. We know that we cannot reach the standard that you have set for us. And God, while we want to continually pursue being better people, being made more in the likeness that you have made us, God, we know that we can never reach the standard that you have made for us. And so we're thankful that you did what only you could do, which was to step down from heaven and to enter into your creation, to be broken for us on the cross. And today we recognize and we accept what that sacrifice was, accepting your work of cleaning the sin from our body so that we could be in right relationship with you. Thank you, God, for showing us the standard. Thank you, God, for resetting the metric of what success looks like in our own life. Thank you, God, that you're here. Thank you, God, that we can live a successful, blessed life. In your name, amen. We are believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the Give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.